What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Action Park Media. Pump rules to Vegas and everywhere in between, it's time to party with Sheena Shea. This is Shenanigans. And now, here's your host, Sheena Shea. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Shenanigans. So, here at Shenanigans, it's like make a wish day. And I am the genie, and Jamie's one wish. Was to interview Chris Caraba from Dashboard Confessional, which will be happening. But before we get into that, we're just going to do a little catch up, let her get her jitters out. So how you doing? Uh, <laughs> Sheena, red letter day. That's what today is. Like this, I mean, Sugar Taco was opening and I'm interviewing Chris Caraba of Dashboard Confessional. I am beyond, like I'm beside myself. I, I can't, like, forgive me if I can't get my words out because <laughs> I, I never in my wildest dreams did I think that this day would be happening. Well, I'm happy that here at Shenanigans we are able <laughs> to make dreams come true. You know, I sent you that Taylor Swift video where she surprises her yeah. best friend, Abigail, on her birthday where it's a house party and she brings Abigail up and, and they, she's like, hey, um... So I know Dashboard is like your favorite band. Is there a Chris Caraba in the house? And he like emerges from yeah. the crowd of people and they all <laughs> sing hands down up there. And Abigail is losing her shit. And I'm like, okay, I'm Abigail. You're Taylor Swift. And today is that day. Yes. So thank you so much. Of for course. Even ha- without this platform, this would not even happen. And I am beyond, beyond grateful for you. Well, I'm beyond grateful for you. You've been an amazing co-host and an amazing friend. So I'm just happy that I'm able to facilitate this for you. And I'm a fan too. So I'm excited. I mean, I've been to several of his shows. I've seen you geek out at one of them, which was (laughs) a highlight for me at Life is Beautiful. And yeah, I'm really excited. We also, before we get into the interview, have the Sugar Taco opening tonight. And me, non-vegan, never eaten, as I call it, fake meat. She's like, it's not fake meat. It's jackfruit and soybeans (laughs) and whatever the fuck it is. I'm excited to try the food. 
It's so good. It's so delicious. Our chef, you know, he brought his, you know, family's recipes from Mexico. And so, you know, and the way that, you know, you would typically marinate meat, um, he does it, but with plants. And mm-hmm. so, you know, meat on its own doesn't necessarily taste good. It's the seasoning or the marinade. So that's, like, actually, that's you a know, good point. Yeah. he's doing the same thing and it's just to plants instead of meat. And I actually had Zach, ha- Zach Wickham um, was with me last week and we went to eat and he had a chicken taco and he was like, wait a minute, chicken. this isn't chicken. <laughs> this tastes just like chicken. And he's a big, like, he's yeah. a meat eater. And um, yeah, anyone who's tried it, they're just like, wow, this is amazing. We don't need meat. So, and you know, the girls over there, like they put in so much hard work, like just getting that place ready. They, Anything they could do on their own, painting chairs and hanging I've things. I've seen on the Instagram. Yeah. I mean, uh, Daniela Monet is nine months pregnant mm-hmm. there painting, like, the kitty play area. Yes, we have we have an area because it's the valley, so there's more families yeah, over there than definitely. Melrose location. So we have an area for kids to play, and she figured out. And her Jessica, too. Jessica yeah. Hall, they They were working on that, and uh, it looks so good. And there's, like, this gorgeous... Um, plant chandelier that I can't wait to see in person Ooh. because the last time I was there was maybe a month ago and it looked nothing like it does right now. So I'm, yeah. s- I'm so excited. I'm excited. We were looking, my mom and I, she's coming. We were looking at the Sugar Taco Instagram last night. Like y'all, I know you, like some of you get annoyed when we talk about vegan shit on the podcast, whatever, get over it. I'm pregnant. She's vegan. Deal with it. <laughs> but literally like take a look at this Instagram because it's like you drool looking at it. Like, none of it looks vegan. It just looks delicious. So we're looking at it, and then I'm trying to, like, see, like, okay, so what's the, you know, quote-unquote chicken? And I was like, I don't know. There's just something about, like, fake meat that freaks me out. My mom goes, so eating animals doesn't freak you out, but fake meat does? And I'm like, okay, valid point. (laughs) And I was like, so I texted Jamie last night, and I was like, wait, like, soybeans, like, edamame? Because that's what I would know as a soybean. So is it, like, edamame... Tacos? It, it does not taste <laughs> like edamame, but it's derived from the soybean. Okay. What the, the chicken is, yeah. Um, and there's these, like, churro donuts that look incredible. And unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be able to I have those I wish we could get tonight. your results before going. I know. I'm going to call my doctor after this. So I don't remember if I mentioned it last week. I think I might have briefly mentioned it. But for those of you who follow me on Instagram, you know I had my glucose tolerance test last week I failed and just did my three-hour one yesterday so I'm waiting on results to find out if I have gestational diabetes but in the meantime until I know I think it's smart to stay away from the carbs and the sugar and I've already I've I've put on quite a bit of pregnancy weight she's the same bra size as me guys Uh, they're huge she's a 34d literally they're (laughs) huge so I'm like you know what I mean when did cutting carbs and sugar ever hurt anyone it didn't I was just I was so looking forward to these churro donuts but they they just might have to wait a few months till after baby girl comes you know what I think you should take um a bunch to go and then when you get your results if it's good then you can you'll have them tomorrow no I want them fresh I want them fresh I mean it's a day what it's better than nothing (laughs) <laughs> I, I'll i be back in LA next week I'm actually officially moving back in I was hoping a week but it's looking like now three weeks because the certificate of occupancy for our building is not able to be had whatever until March 1st we thought it was February 1st so March I'll be back and you know if my results come back negative then I will go and have some churro donuts Yay, they're so good. I I was like, I'm so glad I don't live too close to a sugar taco location because I would 
I would crave these donuts. Yeah. Every and I'm not into sweets, which is the weirdest thing. I'm not either, but those just look <sighs> so like, good. I, and like I love crack. churros. They're so good. Yeah. So really quickly, if we have time okay. in this intro, I just want to talk to the listeners. Okay. I just want to let you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> The way that this interview came about is because I asked for it. And I want to stress the importance of asking for what you want. You know, like, Dashboard was not going to come to us. (laughs) Yeah. He wasn't, you know, (laughs) knocking on our DMs like, hey, can I come on shenanigans? And same thing with Sugar Taco. The way I got involved is I I sent a DM and I asked. And so if there's anything you want to do, if there's anything that interests you, if there's anyone out there that's doing what you want to be doing, just ask. People want to help. I just, I don't know. I just want to stress the importance of that. So I am going to piggyback on that. And I'm going to stress the importance of this, this guy whose DMs I've been telling you to slide in. Just ask. Ask if he wants to get a drink. Oh boy. Slide in the DMs. <laughs> Take your own advice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to give Jamie a second to catch her breath, compose herself. I'm going to leave you guys with a word from Pretty Litter. And then we'll be back with our interview. Everything in our lives is getting smarter. I mean, TVs, phones, cars, literally everything. And if you're a cat owner like me, I have news that will rock your world. Litter is smarter too. Thanks to the world's smartest cat litter, Pretty Litter, which is the most advanced litter I've ever seen. It's pretty, it's white and sparkly, and it literally changes colors to help detect early signs of any potential illness, including UTIs, kidney issues, And it actually works because one time mine turned blue, got my cat into the vet, and boom, she's okay. The litter box cleanup is easier with Pretty Litter, too, because it's ultra absorbent. These crystals trap odor instantly, and it lasts up to a month. Plus, it's safer for your cat, the whole household, better for your allergies, and it arrives safely at my door in a small, lightweight bag, shipping's free, and I never have to worry about storing bulky containers. Your cat deserves the best. I mean, your cat deserves the world's smartest kitty litter. So do what I did. Make the switch to Pretty Litter today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code SHAY for 20% off your first order. Again, that is prettylitter.com, promo code SHAY for 20% off. PrettyLitter.com, promo code SHAY. So we have a very exciting guest via Zoom all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. One of Jamie and I's, well, Jamie's personal favorite, one of my favorites since high school, Chris Caraba from Dashboard Freaking Confessional. I did it. I made it. We did it. I made it. Oh my gosh. Okay. We did it together. (laughs) You have no idea. This is like huge for us. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. We really appreciate it. I'm so thrilled. This is awesome. Yes. I am like, I'm most prepared for this episode out of all of our episodes and the least prepared at the same time, because (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I, out of any guests that we've ever had, I am most familiar with your body of work, I would say. But, you know, I also wanted to take my notes and I have four pages of notes in front of me from going to 20 years worth of shows. So I've spent a lot of time with you (laughs) at, at all of your live shows and on one hand, I was in the middle of I was like making all these notes and I was like, you know what? I don't even want to look at that. I just want to have a conversation and be in the moment, you know, and let's I, just hang. Let's yeah, hang let's, out. Let's. And I almost kind of I kind of learned that from you because it feels like when you're on stage, the moment you play like the first chord, 
you're in the moment. You know, it's maybe surprising to you, but is I have like paralyzing stage fright before I hit that stage. What? Um, it's kind of manis- and manifests itself as stage fright, but I think it's it's just kind of excitement, probably. But that's like strangely that the, the shift is so when I get out there and I'm with you guys becomes the most relaxed I am in any part of my life. But it's such a it's a it's a hard shift, man. It goes from racing heartbeat, like total fear that I'm going to lose my mind trying to get out on stage to like never wanting to leave. How many shows would you say you've been to, Jamie? Because I know I've been to a few over the past decade. How many have you been to over the past two decades? I mean, I'm not saying I'm a super fan, but probably under 100. Wow. That's that's not a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Under 100. Under 100. She's like, I was your number one Band-Aid. I actually toured (laughs) on the tour with you in 2006. (laughs) See, I'm I'm from New Jersey, Chris. So I feel like the whole scene almost, I don't want to say started there, but I mean, between New Jersey and and Florida and like Northeast, Southeast, I just feel like I was there from the early 2000s. Totally, right? That that weird Jersey-Florida connection where the bands in Jersey and the bands in Florida really kind of connected as friends. We kept like booking shows together, really no shows in between because we didn't know anybody there yet. So I would go up to Jersey all the time and play tons and tons of shows with tons of bands like Midtown, Saves the Day from Jersey, Chemical Romance, you name it. And, they would, and I would get them shows down in Florida. You know, I'm originally from Connecticut, so I'm, I'm like a Northeastern guy, even though the band started in Florida. But I really think there's this like inexorable link between the Northeast and, and where bands, bands from the Northeast and the bands from the deep South Florida. I agree. Yeah. And oh, my God, saves the day. Those basement shows. Were you there? <laughs> I was there. I played, played a lot of those basement shows. I played a lot of those basement shows, those living room shows, those backyard shows, and eventually the club shows. VFW halls first and then eventually close. So I think you graduated to um, Maxwell's in Hoboken. Do you remember that place? The Big Leap. Yeah. To Maxwell's. Oh, God, I wish the Maxwell's was still around. It's like all the great ones kind of get turned into bistros. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So on a couple episodes ago, we were talking about me growing up in Jersey. And like when I was 14 years old, I would sneak into Manhattan and I would go see Wu-Tang Clan and all of these hip hop artists. Um, so you grew up in Hartford. Did you ever kind of sneak down and who were you influenced by anyone from the area? So I didn't really like get full bore into music until I moved to Florida. But where the sneaking out I did while I was in Hartford was we would take Amtrak into in New York City, you know, telling mom, hey, ma, I'm going to go stay at Mike's today. And meanwhile, we would be just like sleeping in the street in New York City for the weekend. Okay. <laughs> so was sneaking out more of like an East Coast thing or was I just like a goody two shoes? Because I just I never did the sneak out thing. <laughs> I think that one's on you. Yeah. Okay, okay. okay. That's, it's pretty well, universal. You blew it. You missed out. I it love was, all it the was stories. <laughs> I've I've made. I don't up know. For was it, it a northeast thing or was it just a delinquent thing? I wouldn't know. Like I, I'm totally a delinquent, but I don't know if it's because of where I grew up or or what. I have no idea. Well, I will say, Dashboard Confessional is the band that got me into the whole emo genre back in high school. Napster, LimeWire, the days when I unfortunately couldn't afford CDs and just went on LimeWire and would burn CDs. I remember my ex-boyfriend and I, like, hands down and just all of those songs in those early days, I still know every word to. We were rocking out. Because my boyfriend, he's like, okay, play me some dashboard. So the whole drive out here from San Diego, I'm just like jamming out. He's like, (laughs) wow, you still know all of these words. I'm like, it's just, it's crazy how your brain can just remember things from 20 years ago, but not 
what I had for lunch 20 days ago. I was reading about memory yeah. and the way that it works and, and how you, we process short-term versus long-term memories. And I was thinking this in relation to the music of, of Dashboard. And it's like, if a memory is so attached to a feeling, an emotion, mm. like, you know, think about of like, if someone's getting married, they're going to remember every detail of that wedding day. Yet, that's so you true. Know, yet they have to cram for a test and try to remember those types of details that they don't care yeah. about. So it's really like what we care about and, you know, what we put our attention to and our feelings. And once that feeling gets attached, it's like goes from the amygdala to the long term memory. And it's super cool. I yeah, love it. I love that. <laughs> you know, I feel the same way, you know, where I, there's an old saying like music is a time machine. Chris, um, I have that in my notes. Oh my God. Do you really? I, I swear you, to God. I'm going to, I'm going to read. This is the only thing I'm going to read from my notes. Time machine. His music is like a time machine <laughs> and a soundtrack to so many people's lives. When emotion is so strongly attached to something, it creates a lasting memory. So a song can transport us right back there. I love that. That's what I always say. Music can literally transport you to a different time in your life and bring up all of those feels. And every time I listen to Hands Down specifically, I picture myself burning that CD at the desk of my ex-boyfriend's like computer, like junior year of high school. And, you know, <laughs> and, you know I got to say, like, Napster made my career. You know, there's a lot to be said for how that changed the industry and all that stuff. But just me personally, I, I don't I would be here talking to you if it wasn't for people downloading it for free. The thing was that I just wanted people to come and, and you know, I wanted to get to play live for people. Yeah. So it was incredible to get a chance. You know, it was by virtue of somebody downloading it for free. I didn't care as long as I had a chance to sing with them. See, I always feel bad saying like, oh, I downloaded it for free. I'm like, no offense. I, I was broken in high school and didn't have a job. But I love that you can appreciate that because, you know, that's. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, I mean, a lot of then. his music wasn't even out yet. And so the kids. No, I would... had no distribution. That's the other factor. You're mm -hmm. absolutely right. I had, I had no way to get, I had a record out, but it was like, if you bought it, you bought it from me out of the back of my van. Yeah. So, so... Ooh, that's, not, that's, not... <laughs> that's a little shady. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know how to dial that one back or but walk that one back. But uh... <laughs> we, we know what you mean. But these kids would show up and know all the lyrics already. And that was because yeah, of Napster. Yeah, it's kind of shocking. Crazy. It was because of Napster. And it was uh, really, it was a shock. It was a shock to me to get to someplace I had never been before and have people be singing these songs. It's not like I had songs on the radio, obviously, and I barely had a record out. So it was just an incredible time. I love that. So did you envision this happening before it happened? Or once all the kids were singing along, were you like, okay, this is what my band is? So I don't know how to answer that exactly, but let me say this. The reason I didn't call Chris Carrara was intended it to be shared. And I thought it was harder to share music that was just like uh, this person's name. And I thought it was more inviting to have a band name and just make the audience part of the band. But I didn't think, or make the scene part of the band. I didn't know the audience would become so inexorably linked with the songs. I thought it would open me up to being able to play with a lot of different people in the band if I ever had one. Originally, it was just me and an acoustic guitar, but I thought all my friends are in touring bands, like regionally touring bands or indie touring bands or, you know, not big time careers, but everybody was out on their runs. And when they would come back, maybe I could get Chad from Newfound Glory to play guitar with me, or maybe I could get so-and-so to play with me or so on and so forth. So I don't know, I guess I wanted it to be communal, but I absolutely couldn't have envisioned that it would become like a community. I love that. I yeah. love the inclusion of it. And there's really no other feeling than being in a dashboard show and 
being with the whole crowd and singing along. And it's such a catharsis. It's it's like therapy. And there's no better band name than Dashboard Confessional because I feel like it's not only you confessing, but it's us when we sing it back. I'm glad that I yeah. finally got to experience you at a Dashboard Confessional show. Like It was about a year and a half ago at Life is Beautiful. Oh, such a fun show. Such a fun show. And just that moment, just seeing her, like, oh, it was the best. It was I, I love that festival. It's one of my favorites. And to see a band that I've followed for a couple decades at a festival, it was just with my best friend. It was incredible. Of those moments. I wasn't going to go to Life is Beautiful until, until. I heard Dashboard <laughs> was playing because normally that's not my scene. Um, so obviously that was the highlight. And it was so funny because Sheena and I kind of got in a fight the night before. Yeah. And I was texting her and I was like, our only fight we've yeah. ever had. <laughs> and I was texting her like, Sheena, I just want to go to bed so I can be awake and enjoy Dashboard tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And we did. We thoroughly did. So we also saw Post Malone at that festival, and we were curious, how did those circles cover come about? Did you meet him there, too, and did that facilitate it? No, um, I'm just a fan. I've never met Post Malone. I'm a big fan. Who isn't? There's artists that come along once in a while that just transcend every scene. And I like so many of his songs, but that one just, it just hit me, just hit me in like a personal way. Um, I think the lyrics just got me. In the same way you were talking about how like you can have a visceral reaction to some music when you're young. For me, that doesn't stop. I don't know about you guys, probably so. It doesn't stop for you either. Um, I still find those songs every now and again. The thing is, they're like more few and far between as time goes by because, I don't know, life gets more complicated, I guess. I had such a visceral reaction when I heard that song. And I found myself singing it all the time. I would sing it backstage, like went up at my guitar player, player um, and Jay, who's a fantastic singer-songwriter with a great record out, by the way. He would accompany me on these little, these really beautiful melody lines. And we were thinking about what we might do to, when we had a chance to record at Electric Ladyland. He suggested, don't we do circles? You know, you play it nonstop. You sing it nonstop. Why don't we just record it? Once in a while, I'll do a cover of a song that's very current, very rare. But he said it's become part of the fabric of our show, even though no one ever sees it. Yeah, The audience never sees it. It's just like part of our routine, a special moment that we have, just us. And we decided to let people in on it. I love that. And I love that song. And speaking of covers, yeah. I wanted to ask you about one in particular. It's a little one called Jamie. <laughs> uh, so all the shows I've been to, <laughs> I've heard you tease it once, and I, I think it was in Hartford, um, but I've never heard it live, fully live, and I can't get it on Spotify. Um, so I have it here from 2004, and I can only own a car that has a CD player because of this CD. So <laughs> I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you this song. I've steered away from that song for a long time for no good reason. The fact was, when people had started asking, it's a, it's a song by Weezer. Weezer was one of the first bands that ever gave it a shot. They kind of plucked us out and said, we believe in what you're doing. We get it. And we want to give you a shot. And having been such a massive Weezer fan and still such a massive Weezer fan, that was and remains like this huge moment in my life. Um, I think the way they might have heard was there was a, in their brief hiatus, not so brief, when their hiatus was happening, I did a cover of a rare B-side of theirs called Jamie for you. And <laughs> when, and I think that's how they first heard Dashboard and then later they listened to the music on the records. So 
I have a tradition of like, if, if a band is really important to us for various reasons, maybe they took us on that tour like Weezer did, we, we will continue doing songs of theirs live. But I had moved to El Scorcho. So another song of theirs. It wasn't like choosing to not play Jamie. I just like had the thing I was to, and people kept asking that it almost became like this foregone conclusion that I wouldn't play it. You know, the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> I love that song. I just couldn't like bring myself to say yes. I was like, oh man, the, the idea of this song is better than hearing the song. To me, I was like, maybe that's the thing. And that's strange that you brought it up because I've been playing that song a lot lately. I don't like sit around playing dashboard songs. I sit around playing like songs I love by other people. And that's one I've been playing a lot. And I, that means I'll probably start playing it whenever shows happen again. Yes, <laughs> yes finally. <laughs> vindication. God, I can't wait until we can go to live shows again. And speaking of vindication, when you said that, so last year, not going to get into what it was, but there was something that happened to me personally. And uh, it kind of just all came full circle. Everything made sense. And I'm like, probably the only time in my life I've actually used the term vindicated. I was like, I just feel so vindicated. I was like, you know what? I'm posting it. I need that dashboard song. And I just had a selfie of me on my story. And I did the when you do the music and it has the lyrics on it on my story. And it couldn't have been any more perfect. I've been like what that song was like, what, like 2006? Is that when Spider-Man? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) So anyways, for 15 years, I've been listening to this song and I've never had like a reason to post Vindicated. And I was like, this song is so perfect. So thank you for that. Because I just I felt vindicated and the song just it put it full circle. (laughs) I tell you, I posted that recently. Really? When uh, when they declared that uh, Biden had won the election. That's what I posted. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> was that a career highlight for you being on a Spider-Man soundtrack? Absolutely. So cool. For so many reasons, like growing up like crazy about comic books, the whole way the song came to be, the idea that we were going to be on the soundtrack and that was that, not even in the movie, to becoming the single and being in the movie. It's a little hard to believe still. I remember all the previews and everything, that song is huge. And that wasn't the original song you submitted. No, um... I submitted a song when uh, I was invited to be on the soundtrack. And I like that song. That song's never come out. I have a recording of it, but it's never come out. Then I was invited to see the movie while it was still being, while it was in like post-production, which is a great experience. It's just me in a theater on Sony, on the Sony lot watching the movie. So cool. Mm-hmm. And there were like themes within the movie that just kind of resonated to a personal thing I was going through. So I don't really think I wrote Vindicated about the movie. It just kind of like kickstarted some thinking for me for sure. And about two weeks later, I was in Hawaii and we had a couple of days off and I wrote Vindicated one morning and called my friend at Sony Records who was putting it together. And, and she said, yeah, come and record it. We'll, we'll replace this song. You got to do it tomorrow. Wow. So, so I flew back to the States and to the mainland and, uh, and recorded it the next day. And somehow they decided it would be a single and the uh, rest was like a career making history. That's amazing. Between that and MTV Unplugged. I think those are like the two moments that were the combined watershed moment of my career. I was listening to the MTV Unplugged CD on my way up here from Orange County. It's not like I forget, but just when I put it back on, I'm like, wow, like these songs sound really special because I don't know if it was like 
bone breaks stand up bass or or whatever <laughs> but it's different than just sounds different maybe it's just the audience but it sounds different than the original songs on the first two albums and they're just so beautiful and it's you, you have to hear it i don't think mm-hmm. you've heard it but all of my favorite it's songs are in, in one place it's how did that come to be because i think unplugged wasn't even on air anymore it wasn't on air was not on air there the guy who created he unplugged is a guy named alex Cletty. he's a genius and MTV unplugged something he'd put, he had put behind him and was on to other things and um, was off the air. And he came to see Dashboard play in New York. And he came back after the show backstage and said to me, you know, uh, to explain who he was and said that he had no intention of starting Unplugged again until, until that night. He said that what, what he saw that night, what he heard with the audience participating, they were, they were singing along, not just to the chorus, but to every, every word, was what he always hoped for for MTV Unplugged, but never, he had never gotten that piece. So he, he revived the show just for us. As a matter of fact, we were the first, in, as far as I know, the only, although actually it's revived again, but I think it's a different format. But at the time we were the only non-Putnam band to ever do an Unplugged. So that was quite a, a chance in us that he took. And, and consequently it went platinum, which was a big, like what I said about being a watershed point. Wow. And, and we're coming up almost on the 20 year anniversary of that. I wonder if if uh, you could get the same lineup back together, do that whole Unplugged album That'd for a tour. That'd be so cool. I would think there's a uh, chance for something special. I don't know that I've thought through what it should be, but I do think it should be celebrated. I don't. I didn't used to get into that kind of thing. I remember the 10 anniversary for my first record, and I didn't think to do anything about it. It just never occurred to me till fans started messaging and saying, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with this like feeling of expectation that I didn't expect? I didn't expect. And um, I realized it was more about what they did than what I needed and went out and did a 10-year anniversary tour. And that kind of planted a seed for the future. Like, oh, yeah, these are things that are worthy of like honoring because it's not just mine. Like by no stretch of the imagination, it's this thing I share with my audience that I'm celebrating. Absolutely. And I have to tell you, like when when your fans see you on Letterman or anything or on a Spider-Man 2 soundtrack, it's like you didn't get there be- from main- any help by the mainstream or from radio, you know? And it's like, so when we see you do that, it's just like this accomplishment or this proud moment. And it's like, we did that. <laughs> you know? That's so true. Yeah. That's why whenever, you know, bands and actors win awards, it's like you always thank the fans because you don't get there without the fans. And by we, I obviously I, I include Dashboard. Yeah, no, but no, it's like I know, but I'm saying like group thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I probably appreciate that more than some. I'm very keenly aware of that and grateful all the time, all the time. I mean, even to the degree where they've like been there for me with so many letters and cards and even gifts or books to read through like this difficult year I went through post-COVID when I was in this accident and pretty severe, severely injured. But it was like, it goes beyond the music. It's just a real personal, true, honest relationship I have with these folks. And they seem to have with me. We wanted to get into that, if you're okay, to talk about your accident and having to relearn how to play guitar. I mean, I can't even imagine. I was reading an uh, interview that you did. What was it? A few. I think it was like a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, just reading your story of having to, you know, go into five minute guitar lessons and just having to relearn something that you've known how to do for so long. So if you can kind of take us through those beginning moments of having to relearn your favorite thing. Such a. Yeah. So. All right. Just so that 
I'll just fill people in it that don't know. Most people probably don't. I was in a motorcycle accident in June. I broke severely broke both shoulders, many surgeries, and I'd severed the, the muscles. I lost all the muscle coordination in my wrist and bicep and forearm, my whole arm. So I just, the guitar wasn't accessible to me. I, I could not get my fingers to do the right thing. I lost all the muscle memory. You know, first came rehab, and I, I was just so eager to play guitar. And I mean, I couldn't even hold my arms up where the guitar was without fatigue. And that's how I started, just holding my arms like that, you know, as if there was a guitar in my arm. It felt like I was like moving a couch up the stairs for you. It was just intensely heavy. Um, you know, I chipped away at that stone. I believed I was going to get better. I had a lot of low moments. The recovery was long. It's been long, still recovering. But I tackled guitar. It was just too important to me to let go of guitar. Even if I ever played in front of anyone again, which I absolutely will, but even at the idea that this is really first just for me, this is like the thing that I enjoy, you know, besides my family more than anything else in the world. My friend Fred from the band Taking Back Sunday, formerly the band Taking Back Sunday, is a incredible guitar teacher, among other things. And he said, you know, I want to give you lessons. I expressed him that I, I lost the ability to play. And he said, how long can you like play guitar? I said, three minutes before my arms give out. Because, OK, I'll give you three minute exercises. So that's how it started. And three minutes turned into 30 minutes, turned into hours and hours and turns into like really just chipping away all day, reclaiming that ability. Wow. And that's that's amazing that Fred also kind of knew instinctively, like, all right, let's just start with a few minutes. So between Fred and his kindness, my family's kindness, these lessons from four or five different teachers now. Um, just, and I had never taken lessons before the accident, one or two, not really. But I was just I'm just hellbent now. Um, but moreover, like Fred's kindness is kind of mirrored by like, oh, there's like Fred, somebody I know we're friends. We've known each other for 20 years, but there are fans out there that I, that I've known for 20 years, there's plenty of them. There's also fans I've never met before. And they're sending me gifts of encouragement and you know, constant well wishes. And I don't feel at all like I'm in it alone. Wow. Yeah. And you, and you're not, but I'm a lot we're, better we're now. For you. I'm a lot, yeah. Thank you. I'm a lot better now. I've got a long way to go, but I'm, I'm look, I'm here with you guys. That's a huge deal. Yes, that's huge, huge accomplishment. It um, really is. Are you playing any differently now with lessons versus self-taught before? Is your style changing? I think like my instincts are just the same. Okay. You know, I play from my heart, not my hands or head. So I think that you can't change that through lessons. I would hope my palate gets a little broader. If I'm taking lessons, I might as well try to become, to, 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 to learn new things. But I think my instincts are just, just they're too tied to my, playing they're just it's like a, a symmetry between like it's just i just put a feeling i can't imagine how frustrating that is when it's like in your head you're like no i know how to do this i've been doing this for so long but then the muscle memory is just like not there really bleak it got really bleak for a while there when i every stage was a mix of determination and fear um but I'm stubborn as fuck. So I was determined <laughs> I was going to, I was, I was just going to, whatever fear was there, I was going to let that take over. And, you know, I had dark times. I had some dark days. You know, I, the pain was severe. The atrophy was severe. The, the repair was severe. And I'm not to go on and on about this, but like all that to say, like, I really appreciate that it's been largely behind me. And, and one day will just be another story I tell infrequently. Yeah. I find with, anything traumatic like that or with loss, for me at least, I've learned my biggest lessons. Are you kind of at the point where you can look back on this and 
get again some, some sort of lesson out of it? I know it's such a terrible thing. Or are you still kind of in it and not I'm on the it. other side? I'm yeah. in the deep end. I'm in the deep end. I mean, I don't know what lessons there are to learn other than like not take that road on my motorcycle again. I mean, it's an accident. There's really nothing. There's no two ways about it. You just got unlucky. I guess I've learned things about determination. I've learned things about my family and their determination. I've learned things about um, what's like the hierarchy of what's truly, truly important to me, which I thought I knew before. But maybe it took a little shakeup to reestablish the truth about that. And it's just, it's just life. It's cool. I'm good. 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 The pandemic for all of us has shaken us all up as well. Um, and is this the longest time you've ever been off the road in your career? You know, I took a hiatus from Dashboard. And even then I had two other bands that was touring like crazy, that were touring like crazy. I, yeah, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm fucking losing it. This is, this is bananas, like just to be like not touring. I mean, you know, for the first five years of Dashboard, I toured, in the first two years, I, toured, I only had 11 days off each year. Wow. And then the next, for the total of five years in a row, I was gone for 300 days. So, you know, and that just set the template for me, template going forward about how, what my life would be like. And I loved it and I love it. So this is weird. It's totally weird. That's insane. Everybody's got their shit like just turned upside down these days. So I know everybody understands, even if they're, even if touring isn't their thing. Going to shows is our thing. And this is the longest Mm -hmm. I haven't seen live music in forever mine too like you know i love music i don't just play music i mean that's my yeah that's my bliss i i mean to not have been at a show in a year i'm like i mean festivals there was one month where life is beautiful was part of it but it was four weekends in a row jamie's like are you trying to kill me like (laughs) we had kaboo life is beautiful the rise lantern festival that was also a vegas crazy weekend and crossed like all back to back four weekends in a row so it's like i mean we were very avid festival and live show goers. I mean, even if it's just going to a Mexican restaurant and hearing live music at dinner. And so to not yeah. have that. That's... I mean, I live in Nashville. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's totally. Like, mm-hmm. It's music, music everywhere. Absolutely. I mean, you go, probably go to the library and there's somebody playing. <laughs> so has this downtime um, afforded you other hobbies like getting into the wine business yes i'm pregnant (laughs) so i can't enjoy it for a few more months but i'm so excited to have this rosé that she is sipping on i'm so jealous right now it's delicious by the way yes in the time (laughs) off uh, i bought into a company called canvino just drink cano everywhere on uh, socials and what have you um and it's it's bottle quality canned wine and you know i love wine and i love the culture of wine and I love vineyards. It's like one of my favorite things to do mm-hmm. is to to find myself maybe in Napa or Lodi or somewhere. And um, Lodi is where our vineyard is. It was like a dream, a dream of mine to always, like many, many years ago to be involved in wine in some way. And this opportunity came along and I just jumped on it. It's been beautiful. That's That's one thing I could do once I could lift a can again. People were asking me, how was it before I was able to try it? And I said, well, I've never had wine in a can before, but if Chris Caraba is involved, it has to be good because I just know you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be involved unless it was great. So I was like interested in canned wine from like many years ago when I was like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a beach kid, you know, you can't take class on the beach and I like wine. And I remember, you know, you know, thinking like this would be the right place for it or friends that had boats. If I ended up on boats, you know. Like I like beer too, but I really like wine. 
So this is this was my shot at uh, helping that get up there. Yeah, I love it. And so I love it's that really it's... good too. I mean, if I wasn't involved, I'd say that. It is good. And it's a female founded business. It's, uh, it's very sustainable. It's a, f- a female venter. We have a, it's like a worm farm. That's how the water gets processed and the, the runoff gets processed. Worms clean it and it's, uh, so it's sustainable. I see it's vegan. It's gluten free. All of Jamie's favorite things. Mine, I don't like gluten. so we actually have um a mutual friend matt cutshall and yesterday uh he sent me a little voice note i wanted to play for you and then i wanted to get into y'all's collab okay yeah so working with chris was awesome he was super professional super sweet and I found out that he was following my felt emo or my emo's not dead series because he commented on one of my Facebook posts and fans all freaked out. And I was like, man, I was like, I should do a video with him. So I just sort of DM'd him and we talked about it for probably like six or eight months. And then finally we just made it happen. Um, but yeah, he's so awesome, down to earth, cool guy. And, um, you know, we're, we got we got some more stuff in the works, so you'll you'll be seeing some more stuff with us soon. So, are you able to elaborate on the more stuff in the works, or is this top secret information? Well, he didn't give it away. I'm not gonna. Okay. <laughs> but I love Matt. I love Matt. And like even to hear him talk like that, I get a warm feeling in my heart. He's such a good dude. And yeah. you know, like I, I, I kind of like when he said I have. A, it could have gone either way. It could have been this lambasting, hysterical thing. But then he's like equally genuine. And I think that's like why his comedy and his presence is so powerful. Yeah. Because he's real. He's so real. I love that. He's a brilliant guy. Absolutely brilliant. One of the smartest guys I've ever come across. Yeah. He was one of the first friends I made in LA. Like, I mean, or like mid 2000s. And we've just stayed friends ever since. So to watch his career from, you know, Vine to now just everything he's done and up into doing a video with you. It's just like, that's just so huge. I love when you see someone who just is so talented and deserves it and you're able to watch their career grow. And he's like such a perfect example of that. So I love coming from the other side of it. She's not knowing him before, only knowing him as this like really successful guy who has this persona and also has like all this, this faceted, uh, body of work that he does that's really hysterical and fun and entertaining and like but finding out he's just this genuine down-to-earth uh really kind person was was great because you know sometimes with the personality that big you know the person his professional personality is so engaging mm-hmm. you just think like oh i wonder like if there is there a real person there sometimes wonder that and yeah. and find out immediately with him that he's so real totally him and i used to wait tables together and it's just it's awesome that we don't have to do that anymore but i just yeah i love good for you guys yeah definitely i love seeing those come-ups and collabs and yeah so i know was there a question that came in about it or was it it was matt kind of answered well i mean he kind of answered he did and he didn't uh that he is working on something else but the other question that came in on the reddit dashboard (laughs) (laughs) is um 
regarding that, if you were familiar with his work before, I mean, I have to imagine people, even if you weren't, people must have been telling you, hey, this kid is making emos, not dead videos. You have to check it out. Oh, 100 yeah. percent. Yes, I've been watching that stuff for, for like probably two years. Yeah, I think the first one I saw was like with the used and I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I remember when he did that. I mean, that was really great, by the way, the used one. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen that, you should go yeah. check it out. I like when good things happen to good people. Yep. It's really great. Definitely. Yeah, and I'm speaking of watching our friends' progression, I'm friends with TJ, um, who founded Emo Night with Morgan My homie. and Babs. Yes, love TJ. And I'd like to say I was there from the very beginning, but I wasn't. Uh, what brought me to Emo Night was... Dashboard Confessional played their one-year anniversary, and I got a notification. I did that. <laughs> you did that, <laughs> and I was like, "What is emo night? I don't. Uh, this sounds amazing." I look it up, and I was reading that these three guys, the two guys, one girl, were out one night doing karaoke. They sang a Dashboard song, and they said, "Hey, we should make this a thing." And emo night was created and then a year later they had you up on the stage and I was there for that and that was like such a special moment and it's like got so much bigger so 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 big but that was a special night that was cool that was like this so I watched because it caught my attention because of the name I thought it was in a wee thing and then I thought it was really cool and there were other people doing emo nights in in other parts of the country like Tom for washed, washed up emo was doing one in New York and so on um but theirs was um they captured lightning in a bottle and people were so excited about their because they were they were genuine it was there was nothing about it that was like they were trying to cash in or there was nothing about it where they were you know like making fun of the scene that people were like long for you know the the you know the people that followed emo in the in early days and still you know they just want to be included in something together like that that was our whole scene was inclusion so here was this thing, like, even if the bands can't be here, like, we can celebrate those bands together. We can celebrate what we built together. We can be together. And we can sing our hearts out. And stage dive. Jamie did that at and, Emo Night. And, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's still on my and, bucket um, list. <laughs> I, so I, I played that one year anniversary, but now it's been many years now. Yeah. So well, I, I hope Emo Night can come back. I, I miss it so much. It's probably the most fun thing to do in LA. And, you know, when I first moved here over 10 years ago, I started missing all the New York, New Jersey shows. And I, I started, you know, I would only go to shows if someone, you know, was coming through that I, I liked. And it wasn't as often as it had been. And so with Emo Night, it kind of brought back that feeling that I was missing in Los Angeles, that community feeling. And they, they did something really, really special with that. And I'm so proud of him. It's so much fun. Yeah. And Sheena and I DJ'd it. So that was another. Oh, yeah, we did that. That was another bucket list item. And I refrained from playing all dashboard, but I did close with hands down. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate really you. <laughs> so fun. So with the word emo, let's talk about that for a little bit, um, because you had mentioned, you know, they weren't making fun of it. And it was it's just this love. And, you know, at one point. It's the ter- the term kind of became an insult. And I feel like we've come full circle where I don't think it's that anymore. And it's more just a respect and an appreciation. What are your thoughts on that? You know, emo is like a term that started out with, uh, it was like a neutral term. It just like kind of meant like sincere music. Then after several iterations, iterations of successful bands, it just got like really, it got so big that the, like, you know, of course it's going to take slings and arrows. And, uh, yeah, it became like a four-letter word. I didn't 
I never, I always thought it was an apt name. Like the bands I really liked were called emo bands and I didn't think that that was reductive or anything like that. And I don't think the fans thought it was either, but it just was a social thing. You know, it got too big, got too big. And so it got backlash. And then once it kind of like, you separate the wheat from the chaff and you got the people that were in it for the right reasons remaining. The whole thought of when something gets too big or too popular, maybe the pe- people who originally liked it won't like it anymore. Did you ever have that fear with you when the whole, I don't know, Vindicated came around or when you were playing Madison Square Garden or, or anything like that? Was that ever a, a thought? Of course it was, because I came up in the punk rock scene and the hardcore scene and, you know, being a sellout was really the last thing I was ever willing to do or being thought of that way was something I couldn't control. I just had to stay true to what I was doing. And my goal was like, just include as many people as I can. It wasn't to be the biggest band in the world. It wasn't to have massive success. The success I had from early on was more than I thought I'd ever get. I guess I feared the backlash because I didn't, I didn't want the thing to be defined by other people for something that wasn't. And I was really careful of my choices that I made, which is all kind of a thing of the past now. Like it's just, people don't think about that kind of thing. I don't think yeah, it's I really agree. about promotion. Everything's about promotion now. And don't get me wrong. I wanted to be successful and I wanted to promote what I was doing, but that wasn't the engine driving what I was doing. Success was the engine. That wasn't the goal. What was the goal? Goal was connecting with people and as many people as I could. Yeah. So I have a love hate relationship with social media. Um, I think I, we all do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I love the, the condition. <laughs> I love the connection when it happens. But I, I don't like the, you know, putting up a photo and just people complimenting you or just the attention from that. I, I don't enjoy. Um, but like you said, the connection is, is special. So how, what's your relationship with social media? I see you on Instagram, but not a lot, but you're, you're still there. So how do you feel about it? I feel like a great question. I enjoy social media for what it can be at its best. I try really hard not to get sucked down to like the worst nature of it. That's why I don't post a lot. I, I'm really careful about what I post. I don't really care how many likes we get and how many shares we get and all that stuff. It's nice It's when, when people pick up the mantle of something you said or, or a conversation has started, but it's just a, a tool to connect with people. The whole, the whole nature of things where success is measured in numbers is weird to me. That's so true. So switching gears a little bit. Yeah. When I was preparing for this podcast, I was very conflicted because I said, do I do the interview that I want to do and ask the questions (laughs) that I want to know? Or do I think more about the listeners who maybe aren't as much of fans or not as familiar with with your work as I am? And um, I kind of have this like group on... um, on Instagram where it's a bunch of shenanigans listeners and I go to them for feedback often. And I love that connection part of it. And I asked them that question and they said, do both. So I'm going to ask you some music related questions that, you know, maybe some people won't know what I'm talking about, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you these questions. Do it. Go ahead. I said today, I said, this is shenanigans with Sheena Shea that is now co-hosted by Jamie Lynn. But I said today, Jamie, you're running the show. I will be your co-host. You take the reins. If I have something to add, I will, but go girl. (laughs) Years back, I had the idea of starting a podcast called Everyone's Little Emo. I remember that. Welcome to the first episode of Everyone's Little Emo. We'll be back to your regular (laughs) scheduled programming next next week. week. So first question, what is a Swiss Army romance? 
the Swiss Army Romance was my first record. And the title was referring to a romance that was utilitarian, based in feel, feeling any longer. So that's kind of like the worst part of, like when you get to the stale part of the relationship, when there's not that passion anymore? Yeah, like before, before it's passionately over and after it's passionately started. Okay. Where did you get the album title, A Mark, A Mission, A Brand, A Scar? So we were talking about emo, and it was a reference to what I felt emo was. A mark was this badge of honor. Uh, I was proud of where I came from and what I hoped to do. And a mission was my, my, my mission to, to share it with people. And a brand was uh, something you could rely on, something you could share together that you could rely on. And then a scar was what happens to it when it's corrupted. And have you gotten to that point? I haven't. What stage are or you I've in? Or I've gotten past it. Okay. Maybe I've come around again. Interesting. Okay. So the So Impossible EP, probably my mm-hmm. favorite ever. It tells a story. Um, what went into writing that? And, you know, and it ends with hands down. And mm-hmm. he's often said that that's about the best date he's ever had. So what can you tell us about the So Impossible EP? The So Impossible EP is fourth on EP. It's a story. And it's I wrote it in reverse order with hands down, which is the culmination of the story being the first song I wrote. And then I just, it just spilled out after that. I wrote the next three songs, four song EP in about an hour. I wrote the whole thing in about two hours. And it just tells one story. And the story is a feeling you have when you, you know you want to be with somebody. The next goes on to every stage, that emotional ride to actually the end of the last song where we're finally with that person. I love that. Mm-hmm. And for you to notice is such a good song. I mean, they all are, but for, something about that that song, that yearning, that's kind of like where I live. Like that's <laughs> that's that's me. <laughs> I love it so yeah, much. Me too. Me too. <laughs> you and me both. I have a question from one of my best guy friends. He's a fellow emo musician. His name's Colin Deaton, formerly lead singer of the Mowgli's. He's now solo known as Little Hurt. He said he loves you, first of all. But wanted to know, he said, ask him if all the girls these songs are about know that they're about them. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Sorry. <laughs> I read a, a story in um, the book, Nothing Feels Good. I recall something about A Plain Morning, which is a beautiful song. And you have a line in there that says, um, you wrote the words, I love you. You sprayed it with perfume. It's better than the fire is to heat this lonely room. And wow, you're just like a poet over here. <laughs> he wrote it. I mean, me. I know, but just like hearing you like not even read that, you just recited that. <laughs> what was the story behind that? Because it's not what someone might think. Yeah, that's a complicated story. We need more time. <laughs> okay. Ne- right. Next time you come on. So I know you've been in the accident. You've been having to relearn guitar. What is next for you? What do you have anything coming up that you can announce? Yeah. I need to play in front of people and we can't play in front of people. After all this time and all this recovery and lo- losing so much and working to regain, regain it, I just can't wait until touring starts up again. So we're, do- we're going to do a, a stream. But it's a Lonely Hearts and Lovers stream on Valentine's Day. Oh Valentine's Day. You saw them last year on Valentine's I, Day. I saw you at the Wiltern on Valentine's Day. It was probably one of the last shows one you did. Favorite, one of my favorite shows I've ever played, actually, that Valentine's Day show, which is part of the reason I wanted to make sure I came back into the show by Valentine's Day because that was a that was there was a couple of shows before that that were like high, like I played in Austin and it snowed in Austin a couple of days before, which is crazy. 
it snowed while we were a couple of days before LA when we were in Austin. So but how- the one that stands out from that first leg of that tour was that LA show on, on Valentine's Day. It was just beautiful. Yeah. I drank too much that night and all my videos are just, I'm, I'm dancing the whole time. <laughs> I, I have to remember when I'm taking video to not dance. Don't move. Or you need to get a stabilizer. No <laughs> yeah. Who cares? Who cares? Find somebody else that has the footage. You yeah, just have someone else dance. take the videos of you dancing to the music. Right. And I, I'll come next go. time. I'll be your videographer. Okay. I'm very good with a camera. Okay. Good. Thank you. So, okay. So this is very exciting. You're doing a live stream. How can people find it? Um, you know, we're going to make sure we post it everywhere in our socials and, um, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be easy to find. We're going to make sure people find it. I mean, just search dashboard. Live stream. <laughs> and also you will be able to find it on Jamie Lynn 24's Instagram because she will absolutely be true. hosting it. So <laughs> yeah, it's true. Will you be playing at home or are you going to go to a venue that's I guess empty and, and play there? We're going to go to a venue called the Bodecker in Nashville. Fun. Very much excited to see this. And I hope to hear Jamie in it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's always been a good show when I've been there. I was just looking at some videos from, so where Jamie lives in Orange County used to be where the Irvine Amphitheater. And Mm -hmm. uh, I saw you there, I think it was 2015 with Third Eye Blind. And I was just looking back at videos. It was such a good show. Because that just like was so back to high school for me to see both of y'all. It was the first time I, I think the first time, honestly, I had ever seen you live and same with third eye blind. And now I have a couple more times since, and it's just that music that just takes you back. Yeah. Fun fact about that, was that a location. Blast. That tour was a fun. Yeah. Tour. So that location in Irvine, that amphitheater has been knocked down and it's where I live. <laughs> and when I'm oh, on no sacred way. ground, yeah. I was like, I'm on sacred ground here. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's so awesome. It's just sad that you can't go to shows there anymore because now you just live there. They, they built it. Yeah, that was one. such a great oh, place. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I saw you on that same tour, but I was, I was in New Jersey at the time. So I saw you at, in Asbury Park. Um, which I thought was super cool because, you know, Bruce Springsteen, like, I was like, wow, this is, this is, I think that's where he played was, was it the Stone Pony? I think it was. Stone Pony. So they have a Stone Pony summer theater. that's like, I don't know, five, 10,000 people can fit in there, but the Stone Pony can only fit like a thousand people or 2,000, I don't know, less. It's amazing. Super vibey. Yeah. And that's where I have a photo of of me with you there. Um, And I was with my ex-boyfriend and I knew it wasn't going to be, I knew it wasn't going to last. And I just wanted a picture with you and he hopped in there and I'm like, damn it. Ruined the photo. (laughs) We'll make it up. Yes. Well, that's all my questions. Oh my gosh, we got through them all. Yes. Well, Chris, thank you so much. Literally, I know- This was a dream come true for both of us being fans for so long. So really appreciate you taking the time. And we absolutely cannot wait to come to a show and see you again. I can't wait for that either. Thank you, Sheena. Thank you, Jamie. This was incredible. Thank you so much. And thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Wait, don't end it. What? Hands down. (laughs) (laughs) This is the best day I can ever remember. Yes, we will be back next week with your regular <laughs> scheduled programming. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. Sheena Shay. Sheena Shay.
Thanks for listening to Shenanigans with Sheena Shea. Download new episodes every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> Looking fine and I got my girls with me. With the boys at the table getting tipsy. Miss me, kiss me one more time. Get over here, boy. I'm going to make you mine. Yeah. Do you want it?